Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are glad you're listening today. Now, this is a call-in show, so we invite you to give us a call. Uh, we can talk about anything you'd like to re regarding gardening or taking care of the lawn or, or any of those sort of things. Uh, our phone number, if you will write it down, is 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. Or if you would like to email, you can email me at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And if you are going to attach a photo, maybe something to be identified or diagnosed, if you would make sure and attach it rather than embed it in the, in the email, it makes it a little faster and easier for me uh, to try to take a look at it while we're actually talking on the air. Uh, well, today uh, I'm going to be visiting just a little bit with one of my newer co-workers. Uh, Chad Caperton is our, I'll say new, Chad, I don't know, is that, how, how many months have you been here now? That's well, it's, it still feels new. Um, <laughs> I think I'm hitting uh, 11 months. 11, yeah. not, not quite a year. Not well, good. Well, we, we are thrilled to have Chad in uh, Brazos County, and uh, I, I just welcome you. Thanks for agreeing to come and be on the show. Yeah, great opportunity. I'm glad to be here. Well, tell us a little bit. How did how did uh, what's the path that got you to Brazos County? So it's a it's a pretty long one, um, but I generally started out in uh, the poultry industry, uh, coming out of college. Worked there for a few years and enjoyed that. And uh, God had a different plan for me and brought me into extension. And I started in Jasper County, Jasper, deep east Texas. That yep, does Jasper sound, County. That sounds pretty deep. Uh, Got my, my feet on the ground there, mm -hmm. was there about four years, and got a call, um, seeing if I'd be interested in moving to Madison County. So All right. things worked out there. You were getting and, closer. Uh, getting closer, working my <laughs> way over here, and uh, worked in Madison County for about eight years, and this opportunity opened up, and I yeah. put my name in the hat. Well, good. It's a it's a uh, it's a good thing you're here. We uh, we're very thrilled to have you here. Uh, Chad and I have worked together on a few projects, and I hope I hope we do many more in the future. Uh, so, in in changing course, when you go from Madison over to, to Brazos, there's a, a big population difference, but uh, agriculture is different too uh, in in the counties. And, and what are some of the early impressions, maybe that uh, you just noticed is uh, kind of different and Brazos County direction? Well, the, the variety is definitely a lot broader. Um, the scope of what we deal with in Brazos County, there's a lot more to it. Um, Madison County was mainly beef and forage, lots of beef and forage production. Mm -hmm. um, had residential calls, but here in Brazos County, there's uh, lots of row crops. Mm -hmm. um, definitely beef and forage production here too. Um, there's actually some turf production. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that presents a great opportunity for me to, mm -hmm. to learn about those new row crops and mm -hmm. things that I have not had experience with in the past. So it's 
It's yeah. interesting. Ag's a broad field, isn't it? <clears throat> very, very broad, <laughs> yes, sir. You get called on so many different things. Uh, so th- those of you listening, I know this is basically a gardening show, uh, but a lot of people uh, that have a garden also live out in the country. Uh, maybe you've got an ag operation, or maybe uh, you just have a little piece of land in the country. Uh, and, you know, and Chad, I know you're m- more familiar with this than I am, but uh, over the years, as the population has increased and people have wanted just a little piece of property to to operate on, it's not big enough for a cotton farm or a giant uh, cow-calf operation. Uh, but they have a lot of questions because these are folks that often don't come up with an ag background, uh, you know, like a family farm through the generations might be, uh, and s- simple things like, uh, you know, is there, and how would you go about a, a, a looking at tax um, opportunities, you know, in terms of a ag, ag type operation uh, tax status, or how do I build a fence, uh, how to take care of a fence, uh, what are uh, some of the other kinds. Can you think of some questions that, that like that? I kind of threw a few out, but that this is your field more, definitely yes, more so than mine. So, I mean, you're right. Uh, this area is, is growing. Um, urban sprawl is catching up, so there's not as many big tracts of land, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very popular for folks to move in or or retire and, and buy 50 acres or less, mm-hmm. and they want to do the same things, and it's possible. Mm-hmm. You just got to take a different management approach um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you're right. Simple things like um, how, to, how to build an H-brace to get a fence going, how to mm-hmm. build the fence. You know, what's the difference between barbed wire and net wire and which mm-hmm. one do you need in what situation? So mm-hmm. those are the kind of calls that we really like and we really enjoy to help folks with in our office. Yeah, and when, you know, when we're talking about yards, and we will be a little bit later today talking about yards and, and weeds, uh, it's a whole different thing from a pasture standpoint where they certainly have uh, – Maybe in many cases, different kind of weed, but brush and other things that are acting. And, you know, how do you go about that? Um, uh, maybe somebody has enough place where they, they could uh, cut it for hay and uh, looking for somebody that could come in and do that. And so the extension office is kind of, you know, when I started an extension the on the door, it actually said AgriLife, or it wasn't AgriLife, it was Extension Texas a&M extension service or whatever back then it said the place to go where you need when you need to know and I was like that's a good (laughs) that is good because we get calls on my neighbors burning trash and I don't think they should who do I call (laughs) you know or I mean it's stuff you wouldn't expect to (laughs) make the phone ring but our phone rings for all kinds of things it does absolutely Uh, so if you've moved to a piece of property uh uh, we are here, and uh, we can we can help. If we can't answer it, we can either find the answer with one of our specialists, or maybe uh, maybe point you in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. That's that's good. I I was trying to think of uh, a lot of times people you know they've got ten acres and they want to put a cow out there so they don't have to pay then get an ag exemption on on it and it doesn't always work that way. But I think you can kind of help people understand a little bit uh, what an ag exemption is for and how to go about that yep we sure can and those calls uh we like to take those individually because every situation is different yes Um, there are some requirements that Mm -hmm. the county has in place for those Mm -hmm. and you got to meet those requirements so the best thing to do is call our office make an appointment you know we love to see face to face come Mm -hmm. you know early in the morning we'll share a cup of coffee and 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 a pot of coffee and talk about these things and work through those for you good Good. Well, just uh, 
just being able to, I guess, as they say, move to the country, you know, going out and, and taking care of your place, uh, that's a, that's an important thing. And, and I would encourage you to, if you if you have a little piece of land, uh, consider calling the extension of it. Ask about upcoming programs that, in, that might be of interest to you. Uh, ask about some of the early decisions that are made and how you go about that. Maybe somebody decides, you know what, I want a little farm pond. Uh, well, you don't just dig a hole and hope that it holds water, uh, but uh, uh, Chad can help direct you uh, to the resources and things that help you have success with something like that. You bet. Yeah. Well, tell, tell me a little bit about any kind of programs you got coming up here uh, that might be of interest to folks that uh, have a little bit of land. So we do have a couple of programs coming up. Um, our closest one is actually here in Brazos County, and it is a five-hour CEU program. That is a continuing education unit program um, that helps our private applicator holders, um, pesticide license holders, non-commercial, commercial. commercial. Um, they have to keep up with educational units each year, um, and we offer those those programs with different topics that award those to these um, license holders. Mm -hmm. And this one is going to take place on September 23rd. That is a Friday. It's going to be held at our new office. Uh, so I'm excited about that at uh, 4153 County Park Court. And uh, you can call our office to register and get your name on the list. It's going to be a great program. We're going to start with registration about 730 in the morning. Uh, go throughout the day with some great topics, um, have a nice lunch, and uh, end up the day at around 2, 2.30, something like that. And uh, the, it is sponsored by Capital Farm Credit and Prosperity Bank and our Brazos Beef and Forage Committee. So we're l really looking forward to it. Uh, it'll be my first major program mm -hmm. in our new office, so I'm kind of excited about that. Good. That's, that's a good opportunity. I think you got something else coming up in October, maybe? We do. Um, we, In extension, we like to join forces, and this is going to be a multi-county uh, program in Washington County on October 28th. It is an annual program that features different topics each year. It is the South Central Texas Cow-Calf Clinic, and uh, right now we just have a save the date, um, but October 28th of 22. Um, so if you're interested in that, um, you can call our office and we can set you up with some registration links to get you some more information about that, that so, program. So uh, somebody who has cattle of any number, uh, what, what kinds of things would they learn at, at a cow-calf clinic, for example? So they'll talk about anything from um, feeding uh, cows, cattle through the winter, mm -hmm. uh, establishing winter forage, um, how to come into the spring and prepare properly, mm -hmm. um, vaccination programs, uh, different markets. Um, we've had panel uh, discussions with experts in the industry before that mm -hmm. are there uh, to take questions, live questions, um, get the audience kind of interactive. Mm -hmm. um, they normally have uh, service providers, vendor booths, so uh, there's lots of time scheduled in that day for the participants to visit with those vendors, mm -hmm. um, kind of learn about what uh, companies provide what services, get some business cards, contact information, okay. and things of that nature. So Good, 
Good. Well, it's been a tough year for ag, uh, you know, the drought. And uh, what, what is your, what have you noticed, uh, you know, in terms of where where things are? I know for a while it was so dry that people were talking about, well, I got to sell cattle. I can't, I can't, I don't have the forage to feed for them to eat. And then we get the rains coming in now. And so uh, kind of where, where are we overall? I know it's hard to generalize, but in general. Yeah. So um, I was in extension um, in 2011, which was really, really bad. And, uh, you know, it started out looking like we were headed for that degree of, of drought mm-hmm. again this year. And so I think a lot of our producers learned from 2011 um, how to go into that drought a little better. Mm-hmm. And that's where you saw the increase in cattle sales, you mm-hmm. know, kind of destocking, getting prepared. Um, I think early on, our hay producers um, started keeping a little more than they were selling. So yeah. that was that was the early preparation. And luckily, you know, here lately we've been blessed with some showers. Mm-hmm. Um, different areas have gotten really good downpours. And what I've noticed is how well our forages have bounced back. I mean, it just amazes me. Yeah. Um, you know, commuting through the counties, you know, generally speaking, they've bounced back really well. And talking okay. to some producers, we've actually got some that that plan on uh, trying to get another cutting if they can mm. um, with the grass that's grown back. So, Well, that's good news. That is definitely good news because ag is a it's a big part of our economy here in the Brazos Valley and an important one, not just to mention the fact that it affects families and individuals. And uh, Absolutely. Really important. Well, Chad, thank you uh, for that information. And it, it is good to have you here in the county. Well, I appreciate uh, it. So I appreciate that. Well, our, our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, at garden success at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu had an email come in from uh, Julia and uh, Julia is asking about what's the best time to apply the pre-emergent herbicides in Brazos County and uh, this is a lawn application and what about fall fertilization and those are good questions Julia uh, you know every every weed uh, is a little bit different in when it germinates but in general we've got the warm season weeds that germinate in the spring and the cool season weeds that start to germinate in the fall and I usually say that about the third week of September uh, which is we are we are getting close uh, you should probably have something down because depending on the weather, uh, even by the end of September or early October, you could have weeds that are ready to germinate. And, of course, these rains are all uh, encouraging them to germinate, but, but the changes in temperature, too. So I would say if you're going to put a pre-emergent down, I'd try to get it done before the end of the month, and a little earlier than that is, is also okay. Um, so uh, there there are... Pre-emergent products that are better against broadleaf weeds and some that are better against uh, grassy types of weeds. But remember, pre-emergent prevents the seed from germinating and establishing a weed. Uh, it doesn't kill existing weeds. So if you've got perennial weeds, pre-emergent's not going to help you on those. Uh, but and not too long, we're going to see henbit and chickweed and carpet weed and uh, annual bluegrass and a lot of other those 
kinds of things uh, start to germinate. So now's your best time to, to get those done in these next couple weeks. Let's go on to the phone. Again, our number is 845-5689, and let's talk to Randy. Hello, Randy. Howdy. Howdy. How are you today? I'm good. What's up? I, I was going to ask you um, about, you know, about certain potted plants I have, like, uh, you know, that are totally summertime hibiscus, bougainvillea, stuff like this, and I always bring them in and I put them under UV mm -hmm. uh, that I have set up in the garage. But typically when you have those, should you put a little bit of fertilizer on those throughout the winter or just since they're under UV or just let it go? Yeah, all of those you, you don't really need to. Now, I guess if the plant was in really bad nutrient shape going into winter, you know, maybe a little bit of help would be fine, but you don't want to try to make them grow in the winter. And with the the change in day length and with the change in temperatures, uh, even in a protected spot, uh, you, you're just not going to see a lot of growth. And, and if it did try to grow, it'd be spindly because even your best UV lights for the home, you know, setups, are not going to be able to really support great, strong new growth. Right. Okay, yeah, because I just, normally I just put that on there. To, I even add some heat, you know, because even in my garage one time it got cold enough to where it kind of yeah. a couple of them up. But, right. Um, you know, right. other than that, I just try to, because um, I did have one, I can't think of the name, it was a fern. Okay. And it just got wrecked, you know, even mm -hmm. though it was inside. Yeah. Um, on something like that, if it's going to get that cold again, should you just bring it in the house where it's under the the heat of the house, or where does it even matter? Well, there we have a few ferns that in a flower bed can survive our winters. They're going to die back, and then they're going to come back. Uh, but if it's in a basket, you know, hanging out there on the patio or something, uh, it's going to get really cold in that basket because it doesn't have the warmth of the earth to kind of moderate the temperature okay. so i would bring those in for sure okay but into the house house not into the garage where it still typically might be too cold yes uh well no the garage would be fine even things like boston fern and and uh, some of those that are that are not so super hardy uh in a garage they're going to do fine i mean they can take it down you know around freezing but uh, you'd rather keep them warmer than that if you could okay okay well i appreciate it all right, well, good luck with it. Thank you for All the right, call. Okay. All right, our number is 979-845-5689 or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And let's go back to the phones now and talk to Dan. Hello, Dan. Hi, Skip. Um, I'm the one who emailed you about uh, data collection for campus mapping. So oh, thank you for yeah. connecting me with your colleagues. You bet. Thank uh, you. Um, I had a question about the best time to move uh, three different kinds of plants that were incorrectly planted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they grew too big or remained too small. Um, so the three plants are Mex Mexican heather, yellow coneflower, and confederate rose. Um, so I, I, I've heard you say before that if they bloom in the summer, move them in the fall. Um, yeah. But things like Mexican heather seem to just like never stop blooming yeah <laughs> um, right so what would what would you recommend for coneflowers mexican heather or confederate rose so the mexican heather is the the most cold intolerant one of those uh surprisingly we had it come through that 
um, seven degree freeze we had, but it was because we had a, a snow cover that really protected it. Uh, but I would, I would say on all of these, uh, you can move them at any time you want once we get to about mid-October. Uh, if you wanted to wait until late October, early November, when things are a little more um, shut down, then that would that would be fine. But it, it's not going to be, there's not a black and white line on, on those. Uh, Confederate Rose is, is pretty hardy for our area it is. And uh, so I would just move it. But on all these, after you move them, go ahead and mulch the ground pretty good. If you've got some shredded leaves, you've run over with a lawnmower or even clippings, uh, just to provide a cover over that soil surface because the, the soil heat is going to protect them. All these are going to be coming back from the, the crown of the plant, the base of the plant, or the underground parts. Okay. And do you have any recommendations for how to move them? Um, so so they, the coneflower dies back all the way to the ground. So yes. I assume I can sort of just cut that yeah. and move it. And same thing with the Mexican heather, probably not the Confederate rose, though, right? Right. Yeah. The, well, the the Confederate rose is it's a hibiscus uh, family, uh, hibiscus metabolis. It's gonna it's gonna die back from the cold that we have. I mean, we could have a winter so mild that it it doesn't fully die back, but I would assume it's going to. So you could I would probably cut it to maybe a foot just so you have something to hold on to and and get it planted at the same depth and then mulch it mulch it really well. Uh, the coneflower and the Mexican heather, uh, you know, once they die back, you've got the little thing sticking up that tell you where it was, uh, and you can go in and dig. It's basically you're digging the root system and the crown of the plant out with those. I would probably cut them both to about two inches high. Oh, great. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Good luck with it. Thank you, Dan. Bye. All right. Our phone number, 845-5689. And by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Um, Julia also asked, in addition to the pre-emergent, about fall fertilization. And so, when, as we move into fall, uh, one of the one of the things we want to be able to do is provide a little bit of nutrients that are going to help it go into winter stronger and come out of winter stronger. And we don't want to fertilize it and try to make it grow late because with the changes in temperatures and day length, it's not going to grow. Uh, our grasses are all warm season grasses. They, they um, like St. Augustine, just slows down growth because of those um, weather factors. Uh, and so we usually recommend waiting until about the end of September or early October uh, to put on a, a fall application of fertilizer and a moderate rate. And you want to make sure it's got that first and third number in it, the, the uh, potassium and the nitrogen. Uh, potassium kind of can work almost like an antifreeze in terms of, of um, helping the plant um, uh, develop more cold hardiness. Uh, the nitrogen is important. Th those two are taken up together, and so it's important to have both of them. But you don't—we're not fertilizing it with a lot of nitrogen, trying to get it to grow. So just just a little bit. Uh, but I would do it at that point in time. If you uh, if you look at your normal applications that we make at other times of the year, you can do something just a little bit under that at at that point in in the season. Uh, some turf specialists feel like fall is a very very important uh, time to fertilize because it, it builds that plant going into winter. Uh, others, it, you know, kind of not so 
not so critical. Uh, you, you can't do it or you can not do it. So uh, a lot of lawns do not get a fall fertilization and they're just fine. But it is true that when you go into winter, that grass has stored its carbohydrates by then because in, the, you know, in December there's not a lot of carbohydrate production going on in your lawn. Uh, but it's stored them, so when it comes out in spring, it's got some energy to take off and grow, and, and that would that would be important. I see Julia also asked uh, about trimming roses back, and uh, some of, of her roses are already putting out new growth and, and, and new blooms. And so do we really cut those back? Well, uh, it, it, it kind of depends on the condition of your bush. If I had a bush that was getting a little lanky, and especially one that's gone through this summer and not looking very good, I would probably go ahead and cut it back and fertilize it and water it soon. I normally do that at the end of, of August, uh, but we're not so far past that that it wouldn't still be worth a try. Uh, some of the roses are so vigorous you can cut them back by a third and they come back and they're just fine. Uh, I would take a look at yours, Julia, and make that call yourself. You may want to try some and not try some and, and kind of learn from it uh, how they perform. I just know that October is is one of the best bloom seasons of the year for repeat blooming roses. So giving it that fertilization and, and cutting back does two things. It, it gives it the nutrient to support new growth, and that's important. But every time you cut a rose back, what was one shoot now is going to become two shoots or maybe more. And so roses bloom on the terminal end of a shoot. So instead of having one rose, you can have two or three roses from each of those cuts that was made. So as you can see, it's going to make a lot more uh, floriferous. How's that a word? Uh, floriferous bush uh, by cutting them back. So I would lean toward cutting them back. But uh, take a look at your roses, and if they just look too good, just, just leave them. They'll be fine, too. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689. Uh, or you can reach me by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu dot edu and I still got Chad here with us today. Chad, I know you've you've kind of taken an interest in turf uh, sometimes uh, in in your career as well, and uh, you probably have seen some of the mistakes that people make and some of the things we could do better. And any thoughts you want to add to this stuff I'm saying, uh, feel free to to jump right in. Sure, sure, sure. certainly welcome to. Uh, I wanted to uh, let's see. Go back to the emails and, and handle another one that's coming in. I tell you, we're going to wait just a minute. looks like we have a call coming in. Uh, with all this rain we've been having, it, it just almost makes you forget about the summer drought. I know that's not fully true, but, boy, it sure feels that way. At least we would like to be able to forget about it. Um, but uh, with with all the rain, it's an opportunity to make that transition into fall because that's where we are right now. Uh, the uh, time to plant all those summer vegetables and summer flowers is pretty much done, and it's time to begin planting our cool season vegetables and flowers. So one of the first groups of those are going to be your your cold crops, uh, C-O-L-E, uh, also called cruciferous vegetables, or I just like to call them the blue leaf vegetables. So things like broccoli and cabbage and cauliflower and kohlrabi and kale and collards, and I don't, I'm probably forgetting a few. I never noticed, but a lot of those sound, they start off with a k sound <laughs> at the beginning. But anyway, now it's time to get those out. You can plant them as direct seed. Uh, it takes a little longer to get 
get to harvest or you can buy transplants and get them going. But you want to plant them and you want them to hit the ground running. So plant them and fertilize them. A little soluble fertilizer solution to get them growing. Uh, and then maybe some fertilizer in the soil to keep them growing. Uh, they can take cold, cold weather, but they don't grow great in cold, cold weather. So we want to get them growing now while temperatures are a little milder, uh, and that way you'll have a little longer uh, harvest season on those. So it's a time to start that. Later on we'll be planting things like lettuce and carrots uh, and then even spinach uh, when it really kind of cools off. But in that transition, that's your chance to fix up the soil a little bit. It never hurts to add some organic matter because we burn it up pretty fast in our climate. And um, so you want to make sure and, and uh, get some, maybe an inch of compost put down on the ground and rototill it in as best you can. Uh, and that is very important. If you don't have raised beds, it's not a bad idea to build them because when it rains too much, uh, it's kind of hard to fix drainage. Uh, but if you got a raised bed, it can rain 11 inches and, and the soil drains away and the plants keep going. Well, let's go to the phones now and talk to Susan. Hello, Susan. Hello. How are you? Um, well, I'm, I was here listening to your show, which I do almost every Friday, every Thursday. Thank you. And I thought, I, I call with a question. Um, I have a small backyard that is only dirt right now, and I was reading yesterday about, you know, what to do. I want to plant some grass. Okay. But I, I was reading about, you know, if I spray the, the little grass, their seeds, I think it's not very easy to grow from seed. I wonder what advice you give it to me in Texas, you know. Okay. Uh, Susan, it depends on what grass you want to want to grow. Uh, but mm -hmm. the most common grasses are St. Augustine, and then we have some Bermuda and some Zoysia as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And all of those are best planted from uh, uh, existing sod, whether it's plugs or whole blocks of sod. That's the best way to plant them. Now, we have some mm -hmm. Bermudas that are, that are semi-dwarf that you can plant from seed, uh, but uh, that's a that's a bigger challenge because you got little tender yeah. seedlings and then you get a big rain and it washes the seed off to one direction and it's not mm -hmm. as easy as just going from sod. So, uh, but so sod, sod is the, the little like little carpet-like pieces of grass. Is that what it is? Yes, it's a carpet-like oh. pieces, and so you can lay them out wall to wall. So it's just a solid carpet. Or mm -hmm. you can you can cut them into strips and plant those mm -hmm. and separate them out. Mm -hmm. That way, what you purchased goes further, but you do have that bare ground in between them. And anytime you have bare ground, nature's going to plant a weed there. So that's one of the drawbacks to to using the strips or plugs. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to prepare the. Gym. The, the, the ground for us to put the sod? It, it wouldn't be a bad idea to start with a soil test and see what it, your soil needs or doesn't need. Uh, that mm -hmm. way, before you put the grass down, you can make those adjustments to the soil. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, if you've got a lot of trees in your landscape, there mm -hmm. are going to be so many roots that trying to spade or rototill in some nutrients is going to be about impossible. Uh, yeah. And so that that would just be the drawback. But it would be good to know what your your soil needs. And then if you can, uh, if you've got any weeds that are perennial uh, that are, you know are going to live year after year and not have to come back from seed, it's good to get rid of those. 
if you've got yeah. if you've got low spots, it's good to fill those in so it's nice and smooth. Mm -hmm. And then maybe even, you know, kind of rake the surface a little bit to loosen it just a little so when you lay that sod down, the mm. the sod pieces contact the soil really well so they can yeah. root in fast. But yeah. if you're going to do that this fall, you, you need to do it really quick because oh, okay. the amount of time well, for... Sorry, I'm cutting you off. How do I get the soil test then? Okay. Do uh, you have a pen or pencil handy? Yeah, I do. Okay, if you go to soil testing, one word, soil testing dot T A M U, Texas A and M University dot E D U. Soil testing dot T A M U dot E D U. And there's a form there's a place where submittal forms is on there and you can print yeah. print up the form. You follow it really carefully. It tells you how to take a good soil test and you want to take it right so that the results represent what your yard has in terms of nutrient content. And then mm -hmm. the, the soil test uh, uh, location is over just across the railroad tracks from Welburn Road behind the vet mm. school. And, or you can mail it, but if you're here locally, it's easier just to drive it over there. Mm -hmm. So just let me, let me see the, the site, the website again. It's soiltesting.tamoo.com. And what else? .edu, the first words of education. Edu. First letter. So you're saying that uh, I have to do it very quickly? Well, if you're going to plant, see, like if you wait to lay sod and let's say, 1st of November, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's just going to kind of sit there, and it, it's not going to be well-established and fully, you know, oh. it's most winter-hardy and, and so on. Yeah. So we're we're getting toward the end of the season, so I wouldn't delay much. I, if I would try to get it done pretty quick. Or otherwise, just wait and uh, do this in the spring, about maybe uh, late March, early April. So you're saying that if I want to put sod, I can still do it in November? Is that what I'm no, no, I'm no. saying I'm, I'm saying that. Let me let's see. I hate to give a date because every year is different. But yeah, if, if you're going to get this done, I'd get it done before the first of October. Putting the soil. Putting the sod. Putting the sod down. Putting the sod down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to do this year. So, do you think I, I have enough time? <laughs> um, I think maybe. A, my just in visiting with you, I think it may be best to get the soil tested and then wait and do this in the spring. Okay. Uh, it could be so done. It could be done now, but that means you're running that soil sample over there today and <laughs> trying to get results. And I think that's probably pushing it a little more than you want to have to do. Yeah, it's because my, my backyard is only dirt. And then I, I did something crazy. I read sand on it. Okay. I spread little little tiny rocks, you know, gravel little rocks. Yes. And now it's mostly of it is like that. And in half in the morning it's shade one side and half in the afternoon is shaded. Okay. So well uh just, uh, you know, get that ground ready to go uh, so that mm -hmm. before you plant, you don't have to do everything now, but in the spring, before you get mm -hmm. ready to plant, get everything leveled out, get those rocks out of there and, and so on. And I think you'll have yeah. good success then. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask another question. Oh, uh, so, so 
So to take the soy, I just go down there with a little mini shovel and take it out and put it in a plastic bag and take it there. Is that how I do? When you when you get the the form from the website that I told you, it gives yeah. you pictures of what to do and just follow those. Okay. All uh, right. And, and and you said to wait until March, end of March to April? Yeah, let's just say 1st of April is when you would want to start planting your grass. Okay. Okay? okay. Hey, Susan, thank you, <laughs> thank so, you much so much for the call. I'm almost every week, and I love it. All right, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. You too. Our phone number is 845-5689. If you're listening from outside the area, 979 845 Five six eight nine, and let's go back to the phones to talk to Libby. Hello, Libby. Hi, hi. I have a small bed of chrysanthemums that I thought had totally died. Um, I've had the bed for several years, uh, but it has started putting out leaves. So. Okay. Oh, Libby, I think we lost you there. Um, if we're not able to get you back. Just uh, call us back, and we'll we'll continue the chrysanthemum uh, question. Uh, let's see. We were talking about. Um, oh, I, I know what I wanted to do. I wanted to take an, an email question from Kim. Uh, Kim is wanting to know: Should they be fertilizing oak trees, uh, rose bushes, and crepe myrtles for the fall season? And the answer is no. Uh, now is not a time when these plants are going to need fertilization with the exception of the roses. And there, we're wanting to spur new growth because when the weather cools off, they'll set buds and October will be a good bloom month. In fact, I say October. It's not like they don't bloom in September. It's just that's one of the best months of the year uh, for rose blooms. But um, so uh, I would wait and, and uh, again do a soil test. Uh, Chances are, if you've got existing oak trees that, that have been there a while, you do not need to fertilize them. Now, if you put in some new trees this year, maybe new new uh, planting, uh, then we can talk about you know some things you do to get good, fast, early growth. And crepe myrtles are the same way. In general, we just don't need to fertilize them a lot. But you may find that yours are lacking vigor. And if you want to send me some pictures and maybe a little more explanation there, uh, Kim, on what you're seeing or why you're thinking maybe they, they need to be fertilized, uh, I'd be real happy to take a look at those and comment further. Uh, but in general, we, we don't need to be fertilizing our trees and, and crepe myrtles a lot. Let's go back to the phones. I think we have Libby back. Yes, I'm back. Uh, I have a clump of chrysanthemums that I thought I've had for several years, and I thought they died. But in fact, they're putting out leaves now uh, on just sort of stems. And what I'm wondering is, should I cut them back uh, almost to the ground, or do they need those leaves for growth and well, I would not, development and stuff? I would not cut them back now. Now, your description of how they used to look, they probably didn't do a great job setting blooms for this fall. But if no, they, they didn't. If they set any blooms, then cutting them back now would be removing their only bloom season, uh, you know, mm -hmm. for this year. So I would wait just to see how they do. Uh, but generally, we cut them back. You can cut them back at the end of winter. And then if you pinch them again, maybe May or June, I'd definitely do be finished pinching by sometime in July. Uh, each pinching or each snipping back helps them branch and become bushier. 
And okay. th that's why we do that. They don't have to be snipped. It's We do that to make them bushier. But then mm -hmm. you stop because they need from midsummer through late summer to do their regrowing and set bloom buds for fall. Uh, uh -huh. and that's kind of the chrysanthemum cycle through the year. Well, yeah, these happen most years to bloom twice, in the spring and then and again in the fall. Uh -huh. uh, but, uh, of course, this year they didn't even do their spring bloom. They started to, but then okay. they just collapsed. So. Now, now is, uh, are yours more like the ones you buy at the store in the fall that are bushy, or is yours more of a vining, sprawling chrysanthemum? Oh, I'd say more maybe... Not quite either. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> All uh, right. I don't know. I, I've, I've had them for years, uh, and uh, they've really, they're not, it's not nearly as big a clump as I did have yeah. uh, before before this year. But uh, no, they, I, I bought them at a nursery, and they okay. don't seem to bind. I don't think I'd call them binding. Mm -hmm. they, they were very thick. Okay. Before this year. Uh, well, that's great. You know. Not everybody can get chrysanthemums to come back, so you probably have a green thumb, right? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All I right. just have the luck, maybe some good luck. All anyway, right. I'll, I'll let him go. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate right. it. Thank you, Libby. Appreciate mm -hmm. that call. Sure thing. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. Bye-bye. Our phone number is 845-5689 if you'd like to give us a call or... Uh, you can email me at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. It's been actually a slow email day, so if you want to get an email question in, uh, we can certainly do that. We've got time to do that. Uh, boy, I, I tell you, uh, you know, Chad, I was uh, just out in my garden the other day, which um, let me just say this. If people could see my garden, no one would call this show. <laughs> uh, the cobbler's kids go barefoot, uh, <laughs> and I've been gone, and uh, I have neglected it, and it, it's it's needing renovating. But I was just thinking, man, I'd love to get out and plant some of those fall vegetables and start doing that kind of thing again. <laughs> but uh, I'll just admit it on the air. It's not, not looking super good <laughs> right at this time of the year. <laughs> Yeah, so, it can get tough in your own place. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Taking care of other people's gardens, right? That's right. Oh, my. Uh, well, you know, cool season flowers uh, at that time is coming upon us here pretty quick. Um, you know, we've been telling you at the end of August and, uh, you know, maybe even up to early September, we plant some things like petunias and, and marigolds and others that just grow really well in this weather, and they take you right up until the first frost. Uh, once it once we get a little bit real cold weather, they they're not going to make it. But there's a lot of months that they can look pretty good. And so if you've got those growing, uh, I would fertilize them a little bit, and I would uh, make sure that they are getting adequate water. Fortunately, rain has been for the most part cooperating with that now. Uh, but you want to keep them vigorous because. You know, if you think about your plants that you're wanting to grow fruits and blooms from, you know, maybe it's a tomato uh, and you want the fruit or a cucumber, or maybe it is a, um, a petunia like we're talking about or a marigold and you want the flowers from, in order for them to make those, they have to have sunlight shining on nice, healthy green leaves to make carbohydrates. And those carbohydrates then can be used to make a bloom and then after that a fruit. Uh, and so we want to do everything we can to keep our plants healthy and vigorous so that they do bloom well. So if your roses uh, took a major hit from that drought, which, boy, a lot of them around town sure did, 
or if they've got black spot disease or powdery mildew that's killing those leaves, uh, you would want to spray for that because the idea is we want to create a lot of good healthy leaves to support a lot of good healthy growth and then therefore beautiful blooms in the case of those roses. And so whatever we're growing, uh, just keeping them good and vigorous and healthy is important. Uh, so if you haven't if you haven't purchased some fertilizer for doing that, it could be a soluble plant food uh, that you mix in water and put on them, or it could be a dry granular that you put down uh, and fertilize, mix it kind of into the soil and fertilize them. Uh, don't neglect uh, doing that. It is important to occasionally uh, do that to your your plants as well. I've had a lot of questions about uh, trees and tree dying and tree turning brown and things like that, and it, it's been a it's been a vicious year for trees. Uh, you know, trees normally don't need us to water them. Uh, when you look at our na our average rainfall here, it's more than enough for all the trees that are growing, unless it's something you just planted and it hadn't built a good root system yet. Uh, but uh, this year, uh, that bank account of water in the soil was used and it was gone and trees started to die back. They, the leaves turned brown. You start with a tip burn on your leaves. You can look at a lot of the crepe myrtles around town and the tips and edges of the leaves are brown uh, from that, that drought damage. Uh, then entire branches uh, can start losing leaves from that. And if it goes long enough, the trees can actually die. And we have a few trees that, that have died in town. Uh, there's some others that, are, that look like they're dead, but they're probably going to come back. Uh, and it's all because of that, that lack of moisture. Uh, you know, in our, in our lawns, we, and we see this all the time, people that have a lawn sprinkler coming on, every other day just about and that's just more often than they need to, than a lawn needs to be watered it wastes water and it sets the plant up for disease problems and then with trees uh, if you think you have to water a tree once a week you're overwatering. watering uh, when we get dry soil a good deep thorough soaking I don't mean punching something down underground and watering down deep I mean watering from the top and letting it soak down deep uh, can help them recover uh, by the for the most part, they're really resilient. Uh, I remember when I was in school uh, studying pecans, we learned that a pecan tree root has been can be traced out two and a half times the height of the tree in all directions. So think about that, a big giant pecan tree, and if you go two and a half times that height, then all, that is a huge area that that pecan has got roots venturing into. That's why they're so resilient. Now, there's a difference between keeping it alive and keeping it vigorous and healthy. And that there's certainly a reason uh, to, to give them what they need to stay vigorous and healthy. But just remember, they're, they're mining a wide, a wide volume of soil. Um, if our phone number, by the way, if you'd like to give us a call, we got time for another call or two, is 979-845-5689. 845-5689. I did want to say something else about uh, trees and also about lawns. Uh, about trees, when, when an oak tree gets stressed, there's a disease called hypoxylon canker. And uh, that disease will, can kill a tree. It knocks the bark off the tree. You see kind of a dusty olive drab or sometimes a, a hard uh, gray or black material underneath the bark. Uh, but that disease is present all over the place. It's, it's uh, we would say, ubiquitous in the forest. But uh, when the tree gets stressed, that disease moves in and gets the upper hand. And so once you got the disease, 
you don't spray for it. There's no curing hypoxylin canker. What we do is we prevent the stress that then helps the plant avoid the leaves. And the same is true uh, for our lawns as well. Now I'm going to pause just for a moment and take a call, and then I want to get back to talking about that situation with lawns. So let's go right now and talk to Jim. Hello, Jim. Good morning or good afternoon. Yeah. Appreciate your show. I really do. Thank you. I had an interest a while back in sunflowers. Uh, and I understand basically there are two natives, the Mexican and the swamp. Okay. I have I have the Maximilian. Okay. But I don't have the swamp. I'm going to forget those. I might want to order some other stuff. But my research says basically that they are a deep-rooted plant, that the taproot goes down. And I am very fortunate to have good soil in my place out in beautiful downtown Hardy. That's an inch and a half deep. Okay. After, after that, it's gray clay. So is that true of the cultivars of uh, sunflowers? Well, now, in that question, are you asking about, like, the the uh, flowers you grow for cutting and bringing indoors? Or are you talking yes. about more just the natives? The na- I was thinking about the natives, but I, okay. I might have to go to some of them. If, if they require a deep root, I don't have an opportunity. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know on a Maximilian... Um, what its root system is like, if it's a tap or not, but it kind of doesn't matter in this case. Uh, if you've got an inch of soil, wow, um, that's that's not a lot on, of topsoil. But they'll root down in the clay as well. It just, with a heavy clay, it's a little more touch and go. It can get really dry and hard, but it can also be so wet that there's no oxygen below the surface for roots, and that that's, that's, that's not a good thing. I would consider if you're growing them as a flower bed type plant, I would consider bringing in a soil mix and mixing it with what you have and then adding more soil mix on top of that. So it's not like you've got a nice, wonderful store-bought mix sitting right on top of a hard right. clay, uh, but there's a little bit of a blend of that transition. And I would well, Just gr- about everything we have out here is raised beds. Okay, well, I would I would grow like that. The Maximilian is, you know, it is perennial and it's native and it it's a late season a, bloomer too. And a uh, pest. It's a pest, but well, you know, it's uh, those beautiful bloom stalks are, are you know, something are. to, to appreciate right. as well. So, uh, but I would I would just say anything you can do to to build up a soil for them would be good. And there's so many kinds of sunflowers. You know, there's the kind we grow for sunflower seeds, and those are produced commercially out here on the Brazos Bottoms. And uh, then there's the type that uh, are more for cut flowers. Some that are bred for that, they they don't shed pollen. So when you bring them inside, your table doesn't get all littered with things dropping off the flower. Uh, They're real clean. Uh, And you can buy those kind for cut flowers. Some of them are multi-branching plants. You can get them in my goodness, the colors now are amazing. Uh, right. Uh, just so beautiful. So I would. My major emphasis on is birds. Okay. But other critters too, like them squirrels and so forth. Okay. So, like a black oil sunflower and mm-hmm. some of those right. kinds of things. Yeah. Well, even the even the wild weed. Uh, I've got one in the backyard that anybody that knows better shouldn't leave there because it's going to reseed and become a mess. But I've left it, and I in the morning, I, often I'm looking out, watching little birds come up and peck the sunflower seeds out of those uh, wild sunflower seed heads, and I'll pay for that enjoyment next year when they all start coming up everywhere. But um, right. it's a uh, it is a, a good bird food. 
Okay, if you save seed, throw me a dozen or so in an envelope, and okay. I'll contact you later and see if, if you had any luck. With with uh, saving seed from the sunflower? The sunflower that you were talking about coming oh, up. Oh, no, that was just, I'm just saying that's just a wild weed. I'm not, I'm not going to save oh, seed from it. I'm, okay. I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to wish I hadn't left it to go to seed, but um, it it just was a wild weed. I was just making the point that, yes, all sunflowers are going to have a seed that the bird can enjoy. Okay. Well, I appreciate your advice. Take a chance and have a wonderful day. Well, I appreciate that, too. Have a good show. Thank you so much for the call, Jim. Uh, let's see. We were talking about uh, stress in plants, and I wanted to move over to lawns. Uh, lawns this year took a big hit. Now, some people kept watering like there was no tomorrow, no end of the water, uh, and their lawns are green. Uh, other people, uh, and I put myself in this group, watered enough to keep it alive, but uh, not enough to keep it lush. And then there are some people that just didn't water. And uh, you see large dead areas in lawns. But it's been interesting since the rain that they've bounced back. And you got little sprigs now in the dead area that didn't quite fully die. But when you do St. Augustine like that, a disease called take-all root rot gets the upper hand. Like we were talking about hypoxylon and oaks. Uh, if you stress your St. Augustine, you can do that. I talked to a turf specialist one time, a pathology uh, specialist in turf, who uh, talked about a, a year when one neighbor put down a broadleaf herbicide product in hot weather, which is very stressful to St. Augustine, and the other neighbor didn't. And then the following year, you could draw a line between the two yards as to where the take-all had hit the worst, and it was in those stressed plants. And drought can do that. Uh, shade can stress. Uh, and so I'm just saying that this is a year when we're probably going to see more take-all root rot. That's a prediction. I may have to eat my words later, but I think so. Uh, and so if you were going to treat for the fall diseases, and take-all is one that, that will start attacking when we get cooler weather and be, be present in the plants for a long time. Uh, or the other one is large patch. Large patch is... Uh, they used to call it brown patch, but it's the big brown circles that you have in your yard in the fall season. Uh, you need to get ahead of those. Uh, if you wait until you have big brown circles, you're going to have big brown circles until spring no matter what you do because the grass isn't going to regrow in the middle of winter and fill those brown circles in. Uh, and so what we do is we spray to prevent it. It's one of the very few diseases I can think of that I recommend for spraying before you see the disease. Usually we wait and we try to moderate things, but with, with brown patch, if you have got it every year in your lawn, it's a problem, then I would in late September start to make those sprays. So sometime between now and the end of the month, a spray, you may want to repeat that spray in October depending on which product you use. Some last longer than others. But uh, if you know you're going to have, because you always have, brown patch, then I would, I would pre-spray. Now, that's not to say everybody listening to this uh, broadcast should go out and spray their lawn, because my lawn doesn't have much brown patch. I don't overwater it. I don't over-fertilize it. Uh, and it just hasn't become a problem for me. But some lawns, it's an annual problem. Uh, and so pre-treating would be necessary. And then with the take-all situation, uh, it wouldn't hurt. Uh, to use those fungicides for take-all as well. Uh, 
uh, there's if you want to call us at the extension office uh, or email me at the extension office I can give you some specific ingredients to be looking for I don't want to just say all those names on the air because it it's it, you know hard to keep up with and remember anyway so be watching for those kind of diseases by the way we were talking about roses and uh, Kim had uh, emailed us about uh, some of the rose questions and sent some pictures uh, of those roses and uh, they look pretty good considering uh, the uh, weather that we've been having here uh, and so I would say on those I would still do a shearing back uh, some of the long lanky canes that are shooting out to the side or up uh, those could be cut back and you could do a little light shearing and fertilize them and I think you're going to have a better overall fall with those plants than if you and then if you didn't uh, so there's just something uh, to keep in mind uh, let's see, I want to, uh, Kim had emailed us a little bit more of some other things that are going on. Uh, it's got some nice, uh, not nice new live oak. It's a young plant that hadn't been in that long. It's still staked. By the way, those stakes can come out by now. Uh, you might notice around town people stake trees and then they don't remove the stakes. And if, if that plant has been in for three months and it still needs to be staked, there's something wrong. Uh, because when you plant them properly and when they were grown properly, they should establish and I would say by six months or certainly by a year those stakes need to come out uh, and uh, that prevents them from girdling uh, the plant uh, but on those those I would fertilize within the branch spread of your tree Kim uh, that's a young uh, not too old new transplant uh, probably looks to me like it's been in a year or two at the most uh, then just uh, go up to that trunk and take your thumb this is the easy way to remember go up to the trunk and take your thumb and put it up against the trunk and see how many thumb widths that trunk is wide so let's just say that trunk was the size of a soft drink can uh, you know that's going to be about what three thumb widths or so across uh, then it would need to get three to six pounds of fertilizer so one to two pounds of fertilizer per inch of trunk diameter and just use your lawn fertilizer for that well you've been listening to garden success we're here every thursday at noon to one we look forward to talking to you again next week and tell your friends and neighbors uh, there's a gardening show around if they'd like to call in You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.